FM band is from 88 megahertz up to 108. We've got this frequency. We're going to call you CKUP. We've got this frequency, 98.3. That frequency is what you're picking up when you tune that radio. Very impressive. You can sit on the road and look like they pick up CKUP and clear as a bell. Fascinating. Your analysis seems logical.
It's Tuesday, January 10th, and you're listening to CKUT, 90.3 FM. Today's set list is dedicated to our interview guest, Garrett Lockhart, and features funk from Norway, Lebanon, Egypt, Ethiopia, Niger, Brazil, and Japan. Enjoy the show! Oh, yeah, 
والقربول كنت النسمة المبتلة الأرداني في البحر الصواري الرحلة الليلية انتظار الطفل في باب الغياب وأنا قطعة أرض سكة همة فلاح رحيل في التراب أطفال وخبز أطفال وخبز أطفال وخبز وكتاب يسقط العام على العام ووجهي في الغبار يسقط العام على العام ويمتد حواري لهجتي جامحة كالفرس وفمي كالجرس لم يهذب احتباس الصوت في القاعات قاعات الوفود الكثر والياقات والويسكي ولا استقبال اسياد الكبار يحملون الكوكب الارضي تحت الإبطين 
The guest on our show today is Garrett Lockhart, a letter carrier for the Canada Post and an artist interested in cast-offs, chants, and carrying on. In 2022, Lockhart had a solo exhibition at Pumice Raft in Toronto and group exhibitions at April April in New York City and Hunt Gallery in Toronto. Next year, they'll be mounting a solo exhibition at Jargon Projects in Chicago and participating in a group exhibition at Joy's in Toronto. Garrett, welcome. Hey, Veronica, thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Um, let's start by painting a picture for our listeners of what your work looks like and how it comes to be. Um, could you describe the piece that you recently made for Hunt Gallery, Sky Picture, and tell us a little bit about the materials you used to create it? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it was kind of, I guess it was the most recent sort of work that I made. And um, it started from a box of soggy, uh, like a soggy box of tiles <laughs> that I found on um, one of the, outside of one of the houses on the one of the routes that I was covering. Um, I'm a relief letter carrier, so I, I kind of jump around to different routes that need help, um, whether someone's sick or um, just off on holiday or whatever. So I was on a route near Davenport and Ossington in Toronto and um, was doing my route, found this box. And when I looked in, um, I thought that I was looking at sort of a mirror of the sky because it was such a clear, like beautiful blue day. and. Uh, realized that they were tiles that I was looking at that were ripped out of a house and um, brought them to my truck. I like, carried them very heavy <laughs> uh, back back to the truck and brought them to the studio and they ended up uh, on the floor for a long time. And um, what you see in the gallery is them um, tiled to a piece of plywood and then framed and, and put up on the wall. And um, yeah, I just, I really wanted to have a, a sort of a window. I really wanted you to be able to sort of like lose yourself and just be able to see through what you were looking at almost. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and, and it's it's uh, it's a window sort of. Um, the, the tiles are hand painted and um, hand fired in Italy. And I was able to date them back to the 1970s um, based on the kind of branding on the back. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, it's um, what you're describing is a very um, a beautiful moment of just stumbling upon something that was almost ready made, but it mm -hmm. wasn't. You know, your right. your intervention in it is everything. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I it, it's when I realized that they were hand painted, I kind of it kind of um, I had to approach them very carefully. I think you know and and wanted to sort of preserve the life that they had lived already um, being in that home and then being taken out and I like to think too that the people sort of like removing these tiles from the like mastic like really intense sort of like glue that that was on them uh, and drywall and all kinds of other things um, they saw that there was enough value to sort of leave them outside for someone to come mm -hmm. across Mm -hmm. And I try to I try to be really open to those moments of chance um, and try to just welcome it and and um, yeah I don't know it's it kind of throws me because I never really know what I'm making or what I'm doing and it's yeah. it's always sort of like led by these moments um, that you're describing too yeah 
Well, yeah, you, you realize that you found something worthwhile. You just weren't sure what you wanted to do with it yet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it, a lot of it is sort of, yeah, just it, having them in the studio and just sort of like spending a lot of time with them and trying to figure out like, where should I meet them? You know, where mm -hmm. should I meet, meet this, this object or this color or this uh, material or history, right? It's like spending a lot of time with it and getting to know it. Um, and then hopefully doing it justice um, yeah. in the in in the gallery or the home. I definitely think that you do it justice. Um, your work does something very special in the way that you elevate the ordinary and the discarded, elevate it into something very precious. You now you're able to take what others don't want anymore and renew it with a new purpose, mm -hmm. worth and beauty. Um, do you have any idea where this inclination to mend, repurpose, resignify, reuse comes from? Any mm -hmm. idea? Yeah, I. It's such a like. Um, I've been trying to think about this a little bit, and I think a lot of it has to do with my with my family, <laughs> and yeah. and my upbringing, and the sort of the way that I was I was raised and. Um, my grandma also is sort of like this archivist. Um, it, her house is just packed full of things, but they're all very particularly placed and they mean a very particular thing to her. Like she'll open a cupboard and there'll be like this little figurine that was gifted to her when she was a teacher in the eighties or, you know, like, and so yeah. every time she reaches for a cup, there's like this moment where she's reminded of, this person or, you know, this story. Um, and, you know, every year for my birthday or for Christmas, she'll send me something from when I was a kid. So for Christmas, she uh, sent me this little rock that I had drawn on with pencil when I was like maybe four. Wow. <laughs> uh, and she just holds on to these things that have this meaning to her and no one else, you know, no one else would know that, you know, I had drawn on that except her and I maybe right yeah um my dad also is has always been sort of like yeah a, propo a proponent of like renewing and cleaning and um yeah right now more recently he's he's been sort of obsessed with sourcing uh vintage mountain bikes and taking them apart and rebuilding them to the sort of stock um, bike that would have been for sale like in the 90s or the late 80s. Um, so he's, you know, sourcing parts that are specific to certain time periods and getting really sort of nerdy with it. <laughs> and um, yeah, he's kind of always been like that. He also he also was one of the first people to sell uh, vintage um, or like hot rods and like old muscle cars on eBay um back in like the early 2000s so I I yeah and my mom too like it's just is 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 sort of the same like just yeah I I think the more the the organizing everything together comes comes from my mom she's very like spatially aware and um everything is just so <laughs> uh so yeah I think I don't know I think it's like a blend of all that kind of stuff you know um, yeah all three influences maybe um, yeah yeah and yeah. more but 
specifically them. Yeah, I think about them a lot when I when I make the work. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, this the story you were sharing about uh, your grandma keeping that little rock from you that you drew on successfully for you know mm -hmm. almost thirty years. Mm -hmm. That. Um, that does remind me a little bit of your practice because I think you also, like you said, you sit on things that you find mm -hmm. and that in itself, just by imbuing them with time makes them special yeah. and significant. Mm -hmm. well, um, you mentioned, yeah, your dad sold the cars on eBay. Was that, <laughs> yeah. was that like, he was one of the first in general on eBay or one of the first locally in, I guess this would have been Nanaimo. Yeah, no, he was the first, I think he was like the one of the first people to do it and he was always really interested in like ever since he was a teenager interested in like hot rods and and cars and uh, mm -hmm. had a lot of friends with them and and people I don't know it's a it's a whole community um yeah and, yeah yeah and yeah you know too I mean on the west coast there's a lot there's a lot of it and I I think he just he was also like very into computers like Mm -hmm. um he was an early adopter of the home computer and and uh I remember like some of my earlier memories is him playing like Half-Life <laughs> and coding and like he'd make his own websites and and he kind of just like yeah he kind of just like found a way to do it where you know these people were trying to sell these these cars to a market that was quite small mm -hmm. and it takes a special person to want to purchase a car for some of these prices too and he sure. was kind of like you know maybe I can do this online and, and be able to ship them like freight and try to figure a way to do it and take the photographs myself and document everything and mm -hmm. um and yeah he, he did it and uh for a little while he did it and it was it was sort of like a hobby like I think he really loved just like being with the cars you know like I don't he didn't like mm -hmm. make a fortune doing it by any means, but it was just more the like moving of, of the car, you know, and, and finding the right person for the, for the car. Mm. Um, and he shipped a few of them like all over the world, which is pretty, pretty wild back in the, back in the day. So, yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like he restored them as well, which reminds me of a little bit of what you do. Yeah. He's, he's, um, he's restored cars. I think for this, the for this like particular like project or whatever I think the cars that he or the the people that kind of contacted him were pretty meticulous about what they had and and how they had maintained it mm -hmm. um but it's funny my brother right now is is actually restoring a 1960s uh Volkswagen Bug that was kind of his dream car and he he's he just put the engine clean like t took the whole engine apart cleaned it and put it back together and is just putting it back in um the, the the bug so this kind of yeah this this sort of like thing runs through my family I'm also thinking of my mom's dad um who would just buy like he would purchase like old um like Honda uh scooters and the same thing just like take them apart clean them put them back together mm -hmm. um yeah it's a it's a it's a thing <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. Um, something I wanted to ask you about, um, is your upbringing in Nanaimo. So we kind of mm -hmm. talked about the influence of your family, but, um, mm -hmm. do you feel like the landscape of Nanaimo or maybe the culture of Nanaimo, does that find its way into your practice at all? Yeah, I've been thinking about Nanaimo a lot and Vancouver Island in general. Um, 
Yeah, I <clears throat> I kind of grew up like Nanaimo isn't so small, but it's it's small. Like I I feel like I kind of grew up like a semi forested suburban life. Like I was always very close to the to nature. Like um, the house that I grew up in was kind of on this big hill, and houses were kind of sporadically you know placed on it, and there was. Um, this little lake that we'd walk to called Lost Lake, this tiny little lake that we'd walk around all the time. And so I, I, I like lived a suburban life, but it was kind of, it was a bit more secluded than what you would like picture, like a suburban kind of sprawl or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it, <clears throat> I don't know, there's, it was, it was, I always wanted to leave. Like when I, when I, you know, turned like 16 or whatever, I was like, I gotta, I gotta get out of here. I gotta go to the, you know, the big city or whatever. And um as soon as I left I you know it's like you don't know where you're at until you're not there anymore or whatever and um yeah I miss it a lot and I think I think about you know sort of specific moments from my upbringing there that like I have I've kind of held on to like photographs almost you know like you kind of just like take that moment and it's it's ingrained and you kind of run with it um yeah I can, yeah. I can tell you about one of those photographs that I kind of keep with me. Um, oh, I would love to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Please. I think you'd, I think you'd appreciate it too. as it like music, music head yourself, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I think a lot about this, this one moment I had, um, there was a really kind of small DIY music scene there. It was like one or two people were kind of like organizing shows and would bring people up from all over the Island, but also every once in a while, like from Vancouver, someone would, you know, drum up enough money to like pull them to bring in like a van over on, on the ferry or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and anyway, I remember this kind of one specific show that my, I think my brother was there too, um, where we're, we're in like a church basement because those were kind of the spaces that you'd be able to rent, uh, to rent out for these things or like a, like a Legion hall or something like that. But this one was specifically in a church and it was just like a metal show like it was just like the heaviest show um mm -hmm. for some reason like it was like pop punk or like metal like that that was you had two choices sort of yeah <laughs> in Nanaimo and it was just like this metal like just so, and it wasn't like I don't know I don't remember it being particularly like good it was just like so loud like and it was so strange to be like on a Saturday night like in a church basement and hearing this like it's like you know when you like max out your hearing and you're kind of like hearing your ears you know it's mm -hmm. like the very top of your ears are like shaking and you're like oh my god and then <laughs> the next I was just thinking like the next morning you're gonna have kids coming for like Sunday school with really like no idea you know what just what it went down like only 12 <laughs> hours prior you know and like yeah. it made me really think about like space in a different way and like what kind of things can be organized around space and like how mm -hmm. we can like push and pull space and yeah it was just it really made me just kind of yeah it was just such a simple ordinary thing that that I just latched onto and was like wow um I still can't even really make sense of it <laughs> you know yeah. It's, yeah it definitely resonates with me because it reminds me of um a music venue in my uh, not suburban town because it was somewhat rural. I spent my teenage years just outside of Portland and there was a little town nearby called Camus mm -hmm. and there was a music venue in an old church called the Noise Box 
that was a sort of impromptu music menu where it was, like you said, either pop punk or screamo. And um, I'm pretty sure that it was just teenagers that were organizing the shows and kind of getting, I would say high school age, but getting the local musicians to come and play sometimes mm-hmm. people who are on tour and I want to say that was one of my first exposures to culture like the culture industry as as a 13 year old mm-hmm. I went to one of these shows yeah it was um really exciting it made me feel mm-hmm. like I was part of a community for the totally yeah yeah it's amazing and just knowing that like it's kids that are doing it like it's yeah. kids doing it it's not put on yeah, it's just kids. It's just kids like trying to figure it out and like trying to figure out how to print t-shirts and trying to figure out how to mm-hmm. pay people at that age too. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, well, you know, it was like five bucks or whatever, but it's five bucks times 40, you know? <laughs> and it that's like exciting. And like, uh, yeah, it just really, I think I think that exists everywhere on different scales, you know, and and it's it was so exciting to just like be a part of it or to to find it. I think you know it's the mm-hmm. finding of it was just so exciting. Like, hey, there's a show, you know, and you're like, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then it's like it's at the church, and you know, you're like, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I totally. I'm I'm happy that you also kind of had that moment. It's like it's pretty ama- It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to, I'm going to pivot a little bit um, because this question is kind of in the backdrop of the Nanaimo landscape, but I've always wondered Mm -hmm. if there's um, an ecological motive to your material choices and to your Mm -hmm. overall approach to the way that you select, repurpose and produce your work. Um, For example, I'm thinking of your Starweed series where you repurpose Mm -hmm. rusted steel wool. Mm -hmm. Is there, is there an ecological motive to this approach? Yeah, definitely. I think that when I started making work, I was working with scraps and I had this sort of like rule that I set for myself that I wouldn't waste. Like there would be no waste and I would only kind of, yeah, take take in scraps and things that people gifted me or like um, things I found and I would sort of act with them or on them or, you know, with more with them, I would say, and then put it out again, you know, and that would be sort of the, the, the work. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't make sense of buying or, or um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, I think that's the main sort of ecological motive, you know, and, and I think growing up, on Vancouver Island too as a kid like it was weird to be so um to feel like you're like in nature and and it's so lush and beautiful you know and you're walking through the woods and then all of a sudden you step out into a clear cut you know into this like bald alien landscape that I think when I was a kid, like that was so normal. Like I would, it, it would, I would just like, we'd just come out and there would just be like this like scar, you know? And mm-hmm. it was only like until I left and, and moved away that I kind of realized, you know, what was happening on Vancouver Island really, you know? And, and um, yeah, I, I want to find a way to sort of, to work it in maybe a little more explicitly, but um 
yeah, I'm still kind of grappling with it, but I, I try to tread lightly with my work. Mm -hmm. Also on the starweed thing, I, I mean, I think when I first drew, I, it was first a drawing um, mm -hmm. and it kind of came from like the sun, but it also kind of came from people. I, I, I'm more interested in what people say about them, you know, because it's like, Mm. that's what it actually is is what people think they that it is you know but I a lot of people say that it looks like a starfish and, and I grew up like around lots of starfish <laughs> mm. and um yeah or like you know suns or um I don't know these these or weeds I mean they're you know all of these things kind of are bundled up in the in in that shape for me and um yeah but on on, on also finding things I think it's it, I think I really think it's like a muscle that you or like maybe a certain like way of seeing things or something, you know, it's like, yeah. And, and also just being open to chance and like letting chance sort of act on you um, is something that I honestly struggled with and I didn't like change and I didn't, I don't like surprises, but it's something that I wanted to get to be comfortable with. And I think that's a lot of the work for me is chance and, and sort of, being a you know approaching something where it is and, and working with it mm -hmm. well I definitely wanted to ask you specifically um about that motif of the star but mm -hmm. I think you answered my question just now okay about yeah. what what the star means because you embroider it carve it sculpt mm -hmm. it draw it in almost every one of your exhibitions that starweed mm -hmm. shows up um and it sounded like what you were just saying is that it represents that encounter and that openness to chance because it can be whatever you need it to be. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, um, a matter of interpretation, what it is. Yeah, I think so. I, I was, I was kind of like, I really wanted to be able to point to a figure. Like I wanted a figure, like one figure in the work. Mm -hmm. um, again, like these rules, like, I don't really know where they come from or wh why I impose them, but I, I just, I needed a figure, you know? And I, I, I was thinking about your conversation um, with Yan um, about the star and, and the Hollywood sign, you know, what these mm -hmm. things like represent. And yeah, in the same way, not to like say that the starweed is like the Hollywood sign, but it, it, it's this, it's this like, it's this shape that can be imbued with something that you can't touch and you can't, you can't really explain, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's and like all of our fantasies and aspirations. I, yeah, yeah. Or like unknown thing. It's like unknown, but I I, I know that it's a good thing. Um, mm -hmm. And I love that people will text me a photo of like an empty pizza box and the grease of the slices like made, made a starweed. <laughs> And they're like, look, like there it is, you know, or like someone will, someone will like send a picture of a broken windshield, you know? And it's like, that, that is, that is it. You know, it's like mm -hmm. being able to just change perception, like slightly, like not a yeah. lot, like I'm not talking fantasy, but like just taking the everyday and just like tuning it, you know? And for people mm -hmm. to see that is it, it makes me feel like the work is, that's the work, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, that reminds me, something that I'm working on right now, I was trying to write this essay on meaning and what meaning is. And the way that you just described it, it's just like, from my understanding of what I've been able to shake down as a 
definition. It's this mm -hmm. moment that just gives you pause, that mm -hmm. kind of suspends you. And, you know, it's a feeling, it's affect that you then commit to memory. And later on mm -hmm. in life, you yeah. look back on it for some reason, you know, yeah. and, that, and that is entirely up to you. Yeah. Entirely yeah, subjective. That's a really beautiful way of putting it. Yeah, you sort of like lock it away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, I want to talk a little bit about your work as a letter carrier because um, sure. both your practice as an artist and your profession as a letter carrier involve taking care of other people's things all <laughs> the time. Yeah. Um, do you see any overlap between your work as a letter carrier and your practice as an artist? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I... 100% I, I love my job so much like I just I've never loved any job more than the one I'm doing now and um my my dad was also a letter carrier probably should have <clears throat> mentioned that at the beginning when I was talking about my my family but yeah I don't know that I I wanted I, I I had worked when I was in I when I was in university um at Concordia I was studying uh communications and cultural studies and got interested in art, um, you know, during my first years there, like, or, you know, really started to be become interested in art and, and start really digging. And I set this rule for myself that like, I had to work in the arts and I had to work for a gallery or I had to work for an artist. And that was what I needed to do. Mm -hmm. And I think I realized pretty quickly that my brain, I would dedicate my whole brain to that and I would have nothing left when I got home or something and and I had no room to make something for myself or for other um and you know I, in between I you know I would have different I had different jobs like I was making coffees and doing a lot of dishes in Montreal I'm really good at dishes if any yeah <laughs> um and yeah and and I just I kept thinking about my dad and the work like he always used to say it's the best job in the in the world like you just go for a walk and then you go home and he was always pretty happy you know when I was growing up and um yeah and, and one day I, I I came back to visit um for Christmas one one year and was helping him do parcels because he was still contracted out um delivering parcels when the when the uh like during the busy season for Christmas mm -hmm. and yeah I just like I just fell in love with kind of the organization of it and and you know yeah what you're saying you know you're, you're carrying people's things to the destination and there's something very exciting you know these like boxes of all different sizes and I was strictly mm -hmm. doing sort of parcels um then we were even delivering like on on uh on Christmas Eve which was really you know kind of poetic <laughs> uh like saint nicholas yeah you know like it's someone's got to do it you know what i mean <laughs> mm -hmm. um but yeah and then i and then i applied uh when we moved to toronto uh, my partner danica and i when we we moved here and it's yeah it's it's like it's just amazing to be outside and to be to sort of know a very particular part of the city so intimately you know and and 
to know the ins and outs of the apartments and to get to know the, the folks living there. Um, you know, who gets certain kinds of cards. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. And I, and I see so much, like I see, I see, I see everything when, when I'm out and to come home at the end of the day, it's like, my body is a little tired, but my brain isn't, you know, and, mm -hmm. and that's what I was really looking for. And I'm just so, I'm so grateful and so happy that, that I, that I found that. Yeah. Yeah. But um, you asked, you asked about my practice too. I mean, it's, I'm, yeah. I, I, I find stuff like all the time, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm constantly like loading up the truck with, with stuff and mm -hmm. bringing it, bringing it to the studio and, and also trying to make work about my work too, you know, and kind of fold it in on each other. Um, yeah. I feel like a lot of my work is, is based in the everyday like it has one foot in the everyday and and that's sort of mundane and I feel like work is every day you know work is very people work and there's there's still magic that you can find um in that in that space too I think yeah totally and that's exactly what your work reminds me of is that yes it's about the everyday but I wouldn't say it's about the mundane it's actually about the way that the mundane can be very special if you take yeah. the time to notice little star weeds and um, That's you take it. the time yeah. to appreciate um, the things around you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's about perception too, I think. And um, yeah, I just, I love, I love my job. If anyone out there is interested in working for Canada Post, <laughs> just <laughs> reach out because honestly, yeah, I, we're always hiring. <laughs> mm. Well, you know, yeah. I sometimes think about the listener base for a radio show that mm -hmm. is from 7 to 9 a.m. And I think that it's a lot of folks that letter carry letters and drive taxis. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, yeah. Um, I hope that there are letter carriers <laughs> listening to this interview right now. Yeah, yeah. Or commuting, commuting, mm -hmm. commuters. Or commuting. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, going back to Montreal, uh, mm -hmm. you and your partner Danica ran a very beloved project space in Montreal called mm -hmm. Calaboose. Yeah. Um, and it was it was such a great space. It was such an inspiration to to myself in Toronto to see another oh, so group of you know young people trying to run a space and trying to exhibit work on their own terms and mm -hmm. and not mm -hmm. you know and operate outside the confines of maybe an institution or a commercial space. Um, right. And thinking about the space, it reminds me of how site-specific your work often feels when you assemble it for a specific exhibition, the way you install it. And I wonder mm. if um, your past work as a curator finds its way into your practice, your art practice, and how you choose to exhibit and install your work. Um, thank you. That's really kind. And uh yeah, with Calaboose, I, I mean, there were there were so many like amazing projects happening in, in Montreal at that time, and I remember sort of walking um, into different shows and and galleries and just being trying to be like more present. I think in like the studio building at Concordia because Danica and I were we're studying, um, yeah, communications like in the same sort of building and it, it was very separate from um, from the arts 
like from the studio arts building at, at Concordia. So yeah, we were just trying to be there more and like see what people were doing. And, and we were getting excited by projects happening like yours and in, in Toronto and um, elsewhere. And yeah, the garage, um, the garage. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I think back a lot to that metal show um, in the church basement and what that could look like um and yeah i also like yeah i feel like vidange was also happening at the same time and i remember the mm -hmm. first kind of show that i saw there was in a very large um very large sort of uh auto body garage that had been totally yeah. gutted and and there was like drains and like big weird windows and the space yeah I did I, I, ha I had that same feeling when I walked in there that I did the metal show in the, in the mm -hmm. church it was like okay like they're just doing it and and it, this is it you know this is what they're doing and and the energy was there and the art was there and the people were there and the community came mm -hmm. and um I think I wanted I wanted to bring that that energy um as well and you know I I knew so many people who who were making amazing work that just wasn't that hadn't been sh quite shown that yet I guess you know they were sort of like I felt like they were locking into something that was special and and um we yeah approached people and, and made it happen in a in a in a small garage in St. Henry um and the site yeah, I mean, you have to be like very careful when you when you work in spaces like that to make sure that the art works and the artists are comfortable um, with how things are presented and and placed. And um, there's a lot of opportunity to kind of play in those spaces too, in in a way that you just kind of can't in a in a in a white cube. Um, we were installing works like in the ceiling like there was like a we had like kind of like this hole in the ceiling um that we put a light this was for Aikata's show uh, there was a little kind of ceramic frog and we like put a light up there so it was shining but like as if there was like an attic or like a whole other kind of space up there and um yeah I, I think it just helped us sort of tune our relationship to space and and different spaces mm -hmm. um yeah, and Danica's opened a, a gallery here in a garage um, called Joyce. And yeah, just continuing that sort of um, practice. Yeah. Of, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A very special space. Um, renovated yeah. it beautifully. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a little it's a little slicker and but still has that garage feel. And I have a, a really tiny little studio in the back. So we're we're still kind of in the same building, but um it's been really, really amazing. And yeah, grateful to be doing it in Toronto too. I don't think we, we thought uh, it was, it was, it's just harder to do things here. Um, I feel, and yeah, definitely indebted to, to Marx um, and Audrey of TAP who, who have since moved back to Montreal. Yeah. Well, going off that last question um, about unconventional settings for the exhibition of work, you've exhibit your work in some unconventional uh, mm -hmm. settings, like, for example, a writer's bedroom where you specifically created a mobile, a work 
for them to live with and write about and respond mm -hmm. to. And then uh, another exhibition after the rain, you created work to exhibit outdoors for snails to enjoy as they resurfaced from hibernation. I feel like we touched on this a little bit, but could you maybe say in other words, what you think these unconventional exhibition settings add to the enjoyment of an artwork? I mean, I, I keep going back to the, the metal show. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I feel like, I feel like people can have that experience, you know, in a way that if you enter into a gallery, it's like you have, you got to be quiet for some reason. Um, everything's really bright. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just paints the way, or it like, there's like this, yeah, there's this way that you should act in a, in a, in a gallery, you know, and I feel like when you're outside in a vacant lot and there's there's a a bush full of bugs, like you act a different way, you know, and people people move differently. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, I I don't know. I and a lot of people that have seen the work in these in these different spaces aren't aren't people that would maybe see art otherwise, you know. They might be mm -hmm. seeing it just because it's in a lot or just because it's, you know, in someone's bedroom. Um, and I think that's really special to kind of just like open it up like that and spaces that do that and that do it well, I'm, I'm just eternally grateful for and yeah. I agree. I do think that it's, uh, it's special to just have people stumble upon that encounter. Mm -hmm. And art does belong in the bush with the bugs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It belongs everywhere, every single place. Yeah. yeah. And I think we forget yeah. that when we only see it in a particular setting, which is why I think that project spaces are really important because mm -hmm. it makes you think you could have that encounter anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then I think you, yeah, it's like that vision too. It's like being able to see something in, in nothing, maybe, you know, like mm -hmm. there's something there. <laughs> Yeah. there's always something there <laughs> there is always something there yeah um just given attention and you'll see something worth noticing yeah I think so well I think that's probably all the time that we have today um okay. do you have anything coming up that you want to share with our listeners um yeah I, I'm actually going to take part in an exhibition at uh at Joy's that's coming up it's actually on right now um and it's a, I think it's a, there's nine artists. Um, it's called Dawn Draws Dusk Drops. And um, it's on from, yeah, December 5th to March 26th. Um, and artists kind of come in and out of the show. So it's kind of like this ongoing rolling exhibition throughout the winter. And um, I'll be making a work for that. Uh, I think it's going in next week. That's wow, that's exciting. Cooking. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. This is kind of the first time too that that my partner Danica and I are like working together as as sort of curator and artist, and we're very careful with how that's how that's kind of going. It's kind of fun. It's good. It's good to like, yeah, just to just to be working on something in that with that dynamic. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'll be uh, in a having a solo exhibition at, at Jargon, as you mentioned in the in the bio um in Chicago at the I think at the lat in the latter half of the of 2023 and so just sort of yeah thinking through and starting to make the work for that 
Well, that's great. That's exciting. Um, we archive the show. So anyone interested in kind of following up on your art practice can we'll link your website. So they'll have a way to find out more information about you. And thank you that's so great. much for coming on the show. Yeah, Veronica, thanks so much for having me. It was, it was a pleasure yeah. to talk. You can find archived episodes of In the Weeds, the artist interviews series, at ragweed.info. That's R-A-G-W-E-E-D dot info. You can also request feature interviews with an artist you're curious about, at ragweed.info.
You are listening to CKUD 90.3 FM.
I think earlier in my life it, was, it seemed simpler to just let everything broken disappear. And now I, I don't feel that way at all. I will keep broken things. The big clay pot with raised iguanas chasing their tails. Two of their fierce heads sheared off. I will keep broken things. The old slave market basket brought to my door by Mississippi. A jagged hole gouged in its sturdy, dark oak side. I will keep, I will keep broken things. The memory of those long, delicious night swims with you. I will keep broken things. In my house there remains an honored shelf on which I will keep broken things. Their beauty is they need not ever be fixed. I will keep your wild free laughter though it is now missing its reassuring and graceful hinge. I will keep broken things. Thank you so much. I will keep broken things. I will keep you, pilgrim of sorrow. I will keep myself.
Babylon them. Bonfire upon Babylon. Bonfire upon Babylon. Bonfire upon Babylon. Bonfire upon Babylon them. Bonfire upon Babylon. Show for me. I'm on a specific vocally. Why you want to get so brutally? Must have put me face with the foolery. Buffoonery. Shoot the who? Why you want to shoot? Shoot the me. In front of the world exclusively. In front of me mother so proudly. Can't tell yourself when I touch the sheet. Oh, don't look. yourself together and just know that you are in yourself and that's the strength that you have this life that you live that is given the greatest gift yeah you know like the morning as it comes up it's dawning it's the sweetest thing you know the cycle returns and returns again good morning 